Amen. That is true that we worship a God uh, who is able, and uh, I'm thankful that He's able to work through His Holy Spirit as we open up His Word. There's some spots in His Word that are challenging, some that we just don't want to hear, uh, and then some that are just plain hard to understand. And so the one we're looking at today, to be honest with you, is hard to understand. Uh, we are, uh, as a church, what we do is a, lot, a few guests here this morning, so just to explain, uh, when I preach on Sunday morning, what we're typically doing is we start at the beginning of a book of the Bible, and we just work our way to the end. That helps me not take stuff out of context, um, and, and I think it helps us as a church to get a better grasp and understanding of who God is as we study His Word. So we've been in this book of Romans uh, for a few weeks now, and just everybody, just uh, so you know kind of the plan. We're going to, through Easter, get through the end of chapter 4, and then we're going to take a break from Romans and do the book in the Old Testament of Ecclesiastes, uh, and then uh, we're going to jump back into Romans in the fall and do chapters 5 through 8. We're eventually going to get through this whole letter, but it's long. It's 16 chapters, and, and we've talked about the fact that it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Rome in the first century. There's a lot of distance and space and time between us and our in culture and all that stuff. That's what part of what makes it hard to understand. But we're about to get, he's told us, Paul has been somebody who has been radically transformed by the good news of Jesus. And he, he used to be a very religious Jewish person, but he met Jesus and his life was changed. And now Paul's life is all of a sudden all about getting the gospel out to as many people, the gospel just means good news, to as many people as possible in a short amount of time, but he just wants to get it out there. He wants to be sure it's clear. Now, most of the time that Paul writes a letter, which we have in Scripture, many of them, most of the time when Paul writes a letter, he's already spent some time with those people. He helped get the church started in that city. That's not the case in Rome. Paul's never met these people but he's going to. He wants to go meet them, and he wants to make sure that they not only get the gospel well themselves and get it right and believe it, they, he wants that to motivate them to, together with him, get the gospel even further out to Spain, right? So, so that's where the context of this letter that we're in. And so Paul had introduced the good news in, in chapter 1 by saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul's got this message that he wants to get out. The good news, it's about Jesus. It's about a righteousness that comes through faith. And it's a news that's for all people, Jews and Gentiles. And I want to get that out. And so he's going to spend a lot of time in this letter. And I'm so looking forward to this. Where he just gets down to the details of the good news and lays it out so that we can rejoice with him at the end of this one section um, at 1 through 11 uh, is kind of like the theological section of the book he gets to the end of it and it's just like this is what i feel like when i read romans he says oh the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of god his paths are beyond tracing out his knowledge is unsearchable Right? For from him and through him and to him are all things. And that, that's Paul's reaction to all this good news. But for the last few weeks, it's been a little bit heavy. Because before he gets to the good news, which really starts in chapter 3, verse 21, 
We've had to wade through this bad news that makes the good news sound all that much better. But the bad news started in the middle of chapter 1 where he addressed the Gentiles. That's non-Jewish people, right? So he's addressing the non-Jewish, non-religious people, and he's talking to them, and he's letting them know, listen, God has clearly revealed himself to you in what he's created, but your response and your unrighteousness is to suppress the truth and worship and serve other things other than God. And that's sinful. And God's given you over to all kinds of sin, and you will one day be judged, and you are deserving of the wrath of God of God. That's the message that he shares with the Gentiles. This is bad news for Gentiles. And, and unless the Jewish people who are more religious and maybe more moral in some ways think that, well, I think God must be okay with us, he then in chapter 2 turns to them and says to them, listen, you're, you're thinking that you're okay, but that's part of your problem. Part of your problem is that you don't think you have a problem, but you're judging them for sinning in the exact same ways that you're sinning. You're condemning them, and you're just a hypocrite. You might be more religious, but you're a hypocrite, so you have a problem as well. In fact, your problem is the very same as the Gentile problem. They're failing to honor God as God, so are you. You're not honoring God with your hypocrisy, right? And they're under the wrath of God for their sin, so are you. So we've made it through chapters 1 and 2. And Paul's about to, pretty soon in chapter 3, kind of wrap up this argument about the bad news. We're just about there. But the passage that we're looking at today is this little kind of interlude before he gets to the end of this argument. Because Paul, remember, was raised Jewish. He was, he was a Pharisee, and he understood what Jewish people would be thinking after he shares with them what he talked about in chapters 1 and 2. Right? So he knows that. So he is going to, in the verses that we look at today, answer some objections and questions that he assumes they'll have. Because he wants them to be sure that they get the conclusion that he's about to get to, and he wants them to be ready to hear the really good news that he's about to share. But he knows they're not going to hear any of that if they're all wrapped up with asking these questions in their heads that that they feel he hasn't answered yet. So he's going to just stop today and answer some questions. And I think even though we're not religious Jewish people living in the first century in Rome, uh, because this is the Word of God, I really think, as I studied it this week, seeing there's a lot of this that applies to us now. Um, So, if you're able to, would you stand? And I'll pray, and then we'll read God's Word. We stand as we read God's Word because I have a lot of things that I want to say, but we recognize that the Bible actually is the Word of God, and so to honor that we stand as I read it. Let's pray first, and then I'll read the Word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for putting us in this place. We know it's on purpose at this time, putting us in this passage of Scripture. We know that's on purpose as well. God, I thank you for all the work that you're going to accomplish by your Holy Spirit working through your Word to challenge, to encourage, to bring hope. Uh, Whatever it is that you want to do today, I pray that you would do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read God's Word from Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Then, what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Well, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. But what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Well, 
by no means let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict his wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, but their condemnation is just. You can be seated. So I read that, and some of you, I mean, just even, even just trying to listen to me, you're like, well, how about that? I don't, what, what was that? I don't, I don't get, the, it, it's hard. I'm telling I spent more time studying this week than I have in a while, just trying to get my mind around what, how does this fit in? Um, so hopefully, I tried to kind of just summarize those questions and get the sense of them by, by putting them in, in a little bit of a different language. And so that's the four points that are in your bulletin today. You can go ahead and look there. Um, that's usually helpful uh, for most people to follow along with an outline of some sort. Um, I can't find my bulletin, but if you can find yours, uh, it's in there. And then our life group guide is, is with that as well. So as you get together in homes throughout the week and dig deeper, um, that's there as well. So Romans chapter 3, 1 through 8, um, complicated passage, but I really do think that some of the questions that Paul is assuming that these Jewish people are asking him are some of the questions that we might ask as well. So, first one is this. Verse 1, remember, Paul had just shared with them that they, just like the Gentiles, will all one day face God's judgment, and they, just like the Gentiles, deserve God's wrath. Right? So he's telling them this, and, and these are people, remember, who have spent their lives trying to do what their religious law told them to do. They had the Old Testament, right? It wasn't called the Old Testament then. It was, called, it was their Bible, right? And they studied it, and they were trying to do what it said. And so they were circumcised when they were supposed to be circumcised, and they followed the law. But Paul just got done in chapter 2 telling them, but hold on. That's not what makes you right with God. Your religion, your religious activity, does not make you right with God. So, Verse 1, he's thinking they're probably asking this question. Did you hear the question? Then what, is, what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? He's assuming that they're asking themselves, okay, so if, if God judges impartially, and we, even though we've tried really hard our whole life to be really religious and good, we still don't measure up, then what's the point of trying hard to be good and trying to be religious? What's the point of all of this? Right? What's the point of being religious if that doesn't make me right with God? That's the question. Is there no advantage to being a Jew? And then Paul answers with this, verse 2. Well, much in every way. If you want to know what the advantage is, you've got advantages. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Okay? So God spoke. Gentiles, how do Gentiles get to know who God is? Remember from chapter 1? Gentiles get to know who God is because they got to look at, uh, smell, taste, touch, feel, see what God has created. That's how they learn about God because they haven't received the Word of God. 
the scriptures. Paul's saying, you don't think there's any advantage to being Jewish? Well, of course there is. You have the word of God. So there's a great advantage to your religious upbringing. It's not worthless. I'm just saying it doesn't make you right with God. Right? And so, thinking of modern day application of this, I mean, you might have a similar reaction that maybe even last week as we were talking about how our religious activity doesn't make us right with God, you might have been thinking, well, hold on. Hold on. I mean, so my whole life, I thought I was doing stuff right. I mean, I was, I always go to church. Anytime I could, I went to church. My family prayed together. I memorized some Bible verses. I went through catechism. I, I, I got baptized. I got confirmed. Whatever your list is, you're thinking, are you saying that none of that can make me right with God? Yeah. Okay, then are you saying that, that that's all pointless? And the answer is no, it's not. There's all sorts of advantages. As long as the religious activity in your background was pointing you to the one true God, if you were memorizing the Word of God, if your parents were pointing you, like then great. Nothing wrong with that religious activity if it points you to the one true God. You have lots of advantages. The, the, the advantage that the Jewish people had over the Gentiles is they had the very written, revealed Word of God. There's a lot of advantages to our religious upbringing if it's the kind of religion that points us to the one true God. And so it's not worthless. That's the first question and answer. Second one, we're just going to keep going, okay? Second one is this. If religious people can't be saved, isn't God failing to keep his promises? That's kind of a question. Now, this is where it gets a little more complicated. By the way, um, all of this stuff is going to be spelled out in much more detail in chapters 9 through 11. The stuff that's kind of introduced in these first few verses we're going to get to that in much more detail later, make it more clear. But this is just kind of an introduction. All right. Verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, question is this. What if some were unfaithful? Some of the religious Jewish people, right? What if some of them were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Right? So, so the question is, so if God makes a promise to the Jewish people and they try really hard to be religious, but in the end they're proven to be unfaithful and they don't receive the benefits of God's promise, does that mean that God's been unfaithful in His promise to them? That's the question that they're asking. That would be like, okay, so, so this stuff so hard to understand. So let me, let me give you an illustration. Okay? So I'm a dad. Um, and one of the promises that I want to make to my kids, because I love them, is I want to make sure they're provided for. Even just with the basic things like food. Right? So I, I make this promise, this commitment to my kids that I'm going to provide for their needs, provide food for them. Now, if I set food on the table, but it's food that they look at and choose to reject, does that mean that I'm unfaithful in keeping my promise to them to provide them with food? No, right? And so that's the answer that Paul's going to get to in verse 4. Look at verse 4. He says, By no means let God be true, though everyone else were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Paul says, listen, there's a lot of people that are unfaithful in a lot of ways. 
But that doesn't mean that God's unfaithful, right? Their faithlessness doesn't nullify the faithfulness of God, is what Paul says. And he quotes from their Bible to show them how ridiculous that objection is. All right? So, again, modern-day application, so we can think through how this might be something we would think. Let's just say there's a guy, a guy who lives a good life, okay? However you define a good life. He was just a good, a good, good person, right? I mean, he loved his family. He serves his country. He, he's never said anything bad about anybody, including politicians or referees or whatever, right? I mean, like, he's just a nice, nice guy, honest and fair, even, even, and not just that, he was religious. He was baptized as a child. He was confirmed, became a leader in his church. He was there every Sunday. But let's say that guy, really good, really religious guy, never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Instead, his faith was in his own religious acts to save him. That guy dies and is judged by God and given eternal punishment rather than eternal life. Does that make God unfaithful? Paul's answer is by no means. All right. Next one. You'll talk about that more in your life group. All these things I kind of made, I tried to, it took a long time to write the life group guide too to try and think of how we can have discussion about this. So, um, So take some time. Even if you're, most of you are in a life group, but if you're not, go through that anyway on your own to try and dig a little deeper into this so you're not feeling like, what was that? Um, All right, verses 5 and 6. Third of the four questions is this. If our unrighteousness actually highlights God's righteousness, then isn't it unrighteous for God to judge us? That's the question. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us and paul he's trying to point out this is a ridiculous thing so he even puts in parentheses i speak in a human way okay like uh, this is ridiculous to me i don't believe in it but this is what some people think this is what some of you are thinking that if by us being unrighteous god's righteousness is highlighted well then is it even fair for god to judge us for our unrighteousness that's the question and the answer is in verse six Again, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? Paul says, if you don't, really, think about this. If you don't want God to judge unrighteousness and evil, what would life be like? Do you really want that? Are you sure that you don't want God to judge unrighteousness and evil? You just want to let it go unchecked? Nobody wants that. All right, application for that one uh, would be kind of bringing it up to modern day. I mean, we, we could ask ourselves the same question. Do you really want that? Imagine that if, if there were no judgment for evil, that it was something that just, it just well, it's just it's the way it is, and we just let it happen. If, if, if there wasn't any final judgment for evil and unrighteousness, nobody wants to live in a world like that, right? All right. Now, the last question Last question is this, verses 7 and 8. Question, and, and there's less of an answer to this one, because Paul's like, this one is so ridiculous, I can't even go there. So he's kind of going to go there later in the book in chapter 6. But 7, the question is this. 
But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, then why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? This is what this is the question. Some people are saying that this is what Paul is saying. They're saying that Paul is teaching this kind of cheap grace that like, well, by my lying and by my... Jesus is glorified in some way, and so why don't you just keep on sinning? I mean, you're going to be forgiven anyway. Why not just keep doing it? And Paul said, that's what some people are slanderously charging us with saying, and their condemnation is just. He's like, I'm not even going to answer that because that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to think that we ought to just keep sinning because it makes God look better. That's ridiculous, Paul says. Application to our day, um, you know, we like to sin, and, and we sometimes make up ridiculous justifications for it. But we should never believe that it's okay to keep on sinning because, hey, I think God's going to forgive us anyway, and it brings Him more glory, so let's just keep at it. That's ridiculous, right? All right. So now Paul has dealt with those objections. Um, like I said, that that's a hard passage. Um, uh, I was reading commentaries trying to help me out with this passage, and they were saying, until you get to chapter 9, this is the hardest passage in the book of Romans. So for those of you visiting for the first time today, welcome. Uh, <laughs> you're like, what was that? I, I don't, I'm not sure that I totally know. I know that this is God's Word. It's breathed out by God and useful for teaching, instructing, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Uh, and, and I really do think some of those questions, as you go to your life groups this week, and you start wrestling them, you're like, you know what? I can get why they'd be asking that, because I, I kind of think like that sometimes. So I think it is more applicable than we think it is, but it's one of those that takes some time to dig into. All right, but remember what Paul's doing. He's setting us up for his big conclusion, which we'll look at next week, to the bad news, right? Bad news is about Gentile people and about Jewish people. Remember, he introduced us to the good news in the first chapter where he said, listen, the good news is for all who believe, both Jew and Gentile. And now he's saying, well, the bad news is for Gentiles and the bad news is for Jewish people. Next week, I'll give you a little hint. He's going to say, he's going to summarize it by saying, that's everybody. Like, don't any of you think that you're accepted from that? Like, E-X-C, right? None of you are, none of you are immune from deserving the wrath and judgment of God for your sin. No one is righteous. No one does good. No one has lived a good enough life to impress God so that He can look at you and say, yes, you are acceptable. Right? That there has to be... So so He's going to conclude with that bad news next week, but then the good news that follows that, the week... Oh, it's going to be so good. I'm looking forward to it. All right. You're going to do something a little different to end today. Okay, that's the end of the sermon. Um, so sermon done. Uh, but I want to transition before we sing a closing song, which we're going to do here in a little bit. Um, in the, the kind of general tone that you get in this um, is kind of like the religious Jewish people are looking at all the stuff that they've spent their whole life doing, and they put all this hope in all their goodness and all their religion, and now it's like Paul just kind of knocked their tower over. And and you kind of get this feeling, don't you, of like slumped shoulders. Like, really? So I just spent, I was putting all my hope in this, 
and you're saying that's not enough? I have spent my whole life trying so hard, and you're saying I don't measure up? And it's kind of like this slumped shoulder kind of thing. And that's kind of the, the, the general feel that you get to this. Now, this passage is not talking about love, but it's Valentine's Day. And a lot of people are thinking about love. Okay? Uh, and, and I want to address, because some of us, maybe today is a day where we're going to just be showered with all kinds of love from all kinds of people who love us a lot. We're going to get gifts. We're going to get kind words of people that really know us, and they're going to tell us things that they love about us, and we're going to have a, maybe a special meal, and we got a gift, all this stuff, right? That's some of us. That's some people's experience of Valentine's Day. But there's a lot of people that come into a day like Valentine's Day and their reaction, like it's all this buildup, and their reaction is a little more like, really? I mean, everybody's out here celebrating love like this? Like you got all these married couples living in marital bliss and they're wearing red today and it's all cute. And here I feel like, you're, you're wearing red, aren't you? A lot of people wearing red. I'm looking out there. And like, but if I'm honest, that's just my clothing. Our marriage is not what I thought it would be. I thought there'd be just this, this growing love that would happen over time, and it's just kind of like it's fading instead. That's some people's experience of love. And you come into Valentine's Day with kind of slumped shoulders, right? Some people longing to, maybe, maybe people who are single that desire to be married, and they're kind of like, well, here goes another Valentine's Day without me having somebody with me, and I really would long to have that, right? Or, or maybe as, as Bambi talked about before, a number of kids in the foster care system in the state of Iowa who would long for what many of us have experienced, and that is a, a, a home in which we're well cared for and well loved, and there's people that are thinking, the people that are supposed to care for me and love me the most have let me down, and look where I am now. And they can kind of have this attitude about love that's like, I don't even know if it's real. Right? Because I'm not, I'm not feeling it. And so whether any of those situations, you can add more to that, right? But there is this sense for many on Valentine's Day where it's like, Phew, everybody seems to be so happy, but I'm not feeling that kind of love. Is there any hope um, for love? And so... That's what we're going to do before. We're going to actually uh, sing a song at the end in a little bit. But we're going to watch a little video that kind of points us to, um, kind of kind of brings all that stuff up and then points us to some greater realities that will lead into our closing song. So let's go ahead. Um, we'll watch the video. I'll pray. And then